0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to another powerful episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and Brent Crow joined me this week. Brent is the vice president of Student Leadership University, which is committed to preparing the next generation to think, dream, and lead in a way which honors God and embraces biblical truth. Brent earned his Ph.D. from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and has recently released his newest book, Moments Till Midnight, The Final Thoughts of a Wandering Pilgrim. On this week's episode, Brent and I discuss a topic which connects to every one of us in ministry but is not often addressed, and that is the reality of regret. Brent helps us think through regret and better understand three different outcomes that can rise out of our regrets and how God longs to redeem those regrets. I believe our conversation will not only be helpful for you, but you probably have a colleague or friend, maybe a staff member, who could benefit from what we discuss. So be sure to share this episode with them as well. Now I invite you to join me in my conversation with Brent Crowe. Brent, it is so good to have you with us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast.
1: Hey, Jason. It's an honor to be on. Thanks for having me, buddy.
0: Yeah. Now, Brent, before we dive into our conversation, which I'm really looking forward to, uh, can you share with us a bit about kind of your ministry background and what God has you engaged in currently? Because you're doing some really, really cool things right now, and, and I'd love for our listeners just to hear a little bit of, of what's going on there.
1: Certainly. Thank you. Well, I have the uh, incredible opportunity to serve an organization called Student Leadership University, which is a leadership development journey for middle and high school students. At the end of the day, what we seek to do is to give students a 15 to 20 year head start and how to think, how to dream and how to lead at the feet of Jesus. And so we've been doing this for over 20 years. We've had over 200,000 students that have gone with us on this leadership development journey. It's it's a series of experiences that takes students literally around the world. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. And uh, and I couldn't imagine myself doing anything different. Yeah, that's awesome, Brent. I just love uh, the heart behind
0: what you're doing. And uh, re- really, because you guys seem to, from my understanding, what uh, what I've uh, read up on and what I've seen, videos and those sorts of things, you guys really seem to, to really kind of uh, dig in to provide a, a really strong foundation for, like you said, you know, we're Talking junior high, high school, right? So, um, providing that 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 foundation that that seems to go much deeper than what we typically see in uh, even in most um, you know youth ministries or ministries at church, you know, which are fantastic, you know, um, and in other parachurch ministries that that reach young people. But what you're doing is unique in that it's really you guys really kind of dig pretty deeply, right?
1: Oh, there's, yes, sir. There's no doubt. And, and not in any way to speak disparagingly of any other approach, but, uh, uh, we believe at the end of the day that students can handle more. Uh, we're trying to put the cookies, not on the lower shelf, but the higher shelf, if you will. And, uh, we're trying to help them understand that they are the leaders of today, not tomorrow. And, uh, we, we really do come alongside these incredible schools and churches that allow us to serve their students and help these students capture kind of a new vision for their life. If their life is a a narrative, a story, then what we're trying to help them do um, is tell the type of story with their life that has redemption as the central theme, and then, of course, the Redeemer as the central character. Mm and if you take that approach then then you immediately come to this conclusion that grace demands more nevertheless mm. and so and so when you when you take that approach it it frames the the notion of excellence it frames how we dream how we think and about this world and engage this world and it really does call us to a much higher standard and um, and so yeah that's that's kind of at the at the at the heart of what, we, uh, of what we're trying to accomplish. And like I said, the Lord's blessed us and, and we love doing it and, and, and we've been able to impact a lot of students, but hopefully we're we're just getting started and greater days are, are ahead.
0: Yeah, I love that, Brent, that's so good. And before we dive into our topic today, just to kind of stay on this, to touch on this a little bit, because you get to work with so many young people, can you share with us uh, what are you seeing in their lives that is kind of most impactful For the kingdom, you know, what like what really excites you that you're seeing in their lives?
1: Well, we've just recently gone through a generation shift. You know, social scientists are the ones who end up informing us on all these things. And so, on any given Sunday morning in any given church, there's probably four generations that are present, right? You've got uh, the Boomers, you've got Gen X, um, you've got the Millennials. And then now we have this new generation called Generation Z. And those, I affectionately refer to them as the Toy Story generation because social scientists place their birth date, if you will, uh, starting in 1995. So students or, or people, excuse me, who were born between the years of 1995 and 2010 really fall into the parameters of what we refer to as Generation Z. So if you care about student ministry, you, 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 this is a really significant time because we, for years, have been ministering to what's called the millennial generation, and now we're ministering to a very different generation that thinks differently, right? that uh, has different values, that has different—for uh, example, the millennials were one of the most fiscally irresponsible generations ever to exist, but Generation Z— We're finding is one of the most fiscally responsible generations ever to exist. And the reason for that is very simple because their parents are Gen Xers Mm. and they remember when their when the financial collapse happened. Now, they may not call it that, but they remember when things got really bad and they went from living in a big house to a townhouse or they went from having two cars to one car or they had this many toys at Christmas one year and then this many toys at Christmas the next year. So we're dealing with a different generation. But if I had to tell you, Jason, one thing that excites me about this generation, probably more than any of the other characteristics that we're discovering, and they're just now graduating college and entering the workforce for the first time. But one of the things that excites me is uh, what social scientists are referring to as brand loyalty. Now, you and I would interpret that a little differently. We, we would look at that and we would say that they there's a stick toidness with this generation. Mm. They're not looking to be uh, like the millennials, like the millennials with the you know kind of were like NASCAR where they had all these different stickers on their hood mm. and were associated with a hundred different brands at any given time. Now the Gen Z is a lot pickier, mm. but when they commit, they're committing for the long haul. So we see a stick toidness with brands and journeys and the types of stories they want to tell with their lives that has has to do with education and jobs and and marriage and relationships. But, But across the board, this generation tends to be a little bit more committed to the long haul, if you will. They're committed to less things, but the things they're committed to, they're committed to on a much deeper level. Well, that's very exciting if you're making disciples. That's right. very excited if you're in ministry and you're going. I, I want to cast a vision to a 15 year old that they're going to buy into for the rest of their life, and and not that any one generation is better than another, but this generation has a different appetite for longevity, and that's exciting.
0: That's awesome. That that's a good word, brother. That's and very encouraging. You know, as we're thinking about how. Um, we are discipling and, you know, how we are stepping into, you know, this next season of ministry in our churches and in our ministry. So that's a good word. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I'm glad we could uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit since that's what you do day in and day out.
1: Of the the rabbit trails, anytime. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: Thank you. Uh, Brett, you've recently released a new book entitled Moments Till Midnight. And it focuses on Paul, and and I love. I have got to say, I, I love as I read through it, just um, the imagination that you you put into it. I mean, you get really really deep into a lot of Paul's life, but you you frame it in a way that you just kind of invite people to step into this story. I mean, you, you just draw people in, which I absolutely loved. I appreciate that. And we're going to discuss a specific topic that you explore um, in that book, among many others. But but we're going to focus in on a specific topic. But first, before we jump into that, uh, what led you to the life of Paul?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I felt like uh, there wasn't enough books that had been written on Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, in all honesty, you know, I've had the chance through our ministry to take students to Rome, Italy, and to go into that dungeon in Rome where Paul was held, uh, his last incarceration— uh, it's where he was imprisoned one last time. It's where he wrote Second Timothy. And it would be out of this prison, jail, dungeon, that he would be taken and he would be beheaded. It's funny. Here he is down the street from Nero in the most powerful city in the world, and he's a threat to the most powerful empire on the planet. But as I'm standing in this dungeon and as I've read many books on, like you and many of us have on Paul's life, I'm going to be real honest. I had this moment where I go, there's a lot of characters in scripture I can relate to, mainly the ones that have failed or tripped over themselves or stuck their foot in their mouth or all those types of characters. But I have a very difficult time relating to the apostle Paul. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, I mean, he's an apostle, right? And <laughs> I, my, shadow, my shadow has never healed anybody. I don't know about yours, Jason. Right, Mine right. Never healed anyone. And number two, I mean, he's contributed, you know, almost half of what we have as the New Testament. Number three, he expanded the movement of Christianity, geographically speaking, over the course of 30 years in a way that no one else has ever done in history. Number four, he was an intellectual giant. And so when you when you think about the, the, the magnitude of his life, it's hard to relate to this guy. And so I'm sitting here going, how can just a, the average Joe like myself relate to a guy like that? And and I thought to myself, what if at the end of the day, Paul sitting in the in that dungeon in Rome, Italy, didn't view himself through the lens of, well, I'm an apostle? Or what if at the end of the day, after all the missionary journeys, after all the pastors had been trained, after all the letters had been written? After he had fulfilled the call that God had placed on his life on that Damascus road so many years earlier, what if at the end of the day, Paul in that dungeon, knowing he was going to die, viewed himself as a pilgrim just trying to wander his way home? What if he thought to himself, Happier the people whose strength is in you, Lord, and whose hearts are set on pilgrimage? What if Paul was going, In this moment, God's, I've, I've accomplished what, the tasks that God has for my life. All that's left to do is to go home. And what if that was what if what if that was the consuming thought as Paul put the pen down from 2nd Timothy and he knew that he only had hours, days, maybe a month, I don't know, but he had a very limited amount of time to live and if I view Paul through the lens of pilgrimage, he becomes somebody who's very relatable because I'm trying to make my way home too and And so that's that's kind of the idea behind the book is 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 to put Paul in a into a light, into a paradigm that is relatable and relevant to all believers.
0: Yeah, that's good. that's good. I love that. And I love how it kind of unfolds throughout the book and And the way that you you kind of frame the book is um, kind of imagining that that Paul has been informed that his execution is imminent, you know, that he's in his final hours. And so you walk through kind of his final hours and and perhaps how he would reflect upon his journey, right? Which is kind of a beautiful thing as he's coming home, wandering home on that pilgrimage. And uh, I want to dig in, like I said, I mean, we could talk for hours um, going through these uh, these final hours as you've imagined in in Paul's life. But I really want to dig in on a topic that I think is something that— um, when it comes to uh, our, our lives as pastors and as ministers, we don't spend much time on, and oftentimes we, we completely ignore this, and, and I, I'll, I'll kind of give my opinion as to why we might completely ignore this particular topic, but that is the topic of regret. And so, so you kind of set up, like, hey, Paul's in the dungeon, he knows the end is coming, he's been reflecting on, on all these powerful things that he's experienced, but what if th- there's a time— you know that he looks back and he thinks about you know his failures and perhaps his regrets. What might that look like? And, and again, it helps us to relate, you know, to Paul in, in these moments. And and so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about this idea of regret.
1: Yeah, there has never been a life lived that did not have regrets. Um, there has never been a life lived that didn't fail on some level or another. Now, let's, let's, let's frame this for a moment. Part of the reason, and I'm so glad you decided, Jason, to focus in on this because it's not my personal struggle with. But so many uh, of us in a Western context as ministry leaders, we, we don't give ourselves permission or a place in the paradigm of what it looks like to do, be a ministry leader to fail right? And I'm not talking about the big moral or ethical, or I'm not talking about laundering money or or doing something very immoral or anything like that. I'm just saying there's not there's not room in our paradigm, it seems like, because as ministry leaders in a Western context, we have to be the ultimate example of what it looks like to be a Christian in society for our people, right? We have to be the ones that have it all together. We have to be the ones that never fight with our our spouse at home, or we have to be the one, you know, and the right. list could just go on and on and on. And and th- the reality is that that re- regret and failure is part of the human experience. So let's say this. You always have to define your terms, right? There are two types of failures. There's a, a very obvious failure, which is a failure that fails to please God. We call that sin, right? And so anything that is in contradiction with the desired will of God is... Is, is sinful activity and behavior. So let's just go ahead and say that we know that. That's, that we, 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 we've known that a long time. We still know that. But there's another kind of failure that we don't talk about. And we don't give, that's what I'm talking about. We don't give ourselves a margin for this type of failure. And that is the type of failure that attempts something that is consistent with God's desired will mm. and yet comes up short. Right or doesn't work out the way we thought it would work out, and this is the t- to me this is the type of failure that God doesn't look at and go, oh my gosh, you tried to hold that evangelistic event at your church and you didn't see three hundred people come to Christ. You failed and you have sinned. Now I don't. I think God looks at that failure and He sees it. Number one, I think it pleases Him. Number two, I think He views it through the lens of. Of sanctification and and that we're being built up in the faith as we attempt things for God's glory. I, I don't think God has ever faulted someone for dreaming too big. Maybe is another way of saying it. Right, right. Um, and so I, I uh, I think we have to leave a lot of room, maybe or at least some room, in our in our paradigm for ministry leadership to try things. That may not work out, and then of course, if we don't have that paradigm, it leads us to some regret that can that can serve us in a very very unhealthy way. And so, I think there's there's really three ways, and and, and these are articulated in the book. But there's three ways that are or three possibilities, if you will, for regret. Um, and and one of them is guilt, right? Mm-hmm. That there's there's a regret that can become a prison, if you will, of our own making. Um, and I think to be quite honest with you, and, and not that this is a discussion on mental health, but I think this type of regret has led to a lot of anxiety, right. has led to depression, has led to some very internal battles that ministry leaders are struggling with but are probably um, afraid to talk about or feel like they feel shameful, to shamed, excuse me, to talk about. And so, so you know, regret is one possibility. Fear so, is another possibility. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and let's sorry. let's dig
0: into to guilt a little bit because I think that when it comes to regret, I think that guilt is probably uh, of the three that you touch on. I'm thinking that guilt tends to be the mm-hmm. kind of the default mode for regret. Right? We we regret that um, things didn't come together the the way they should have. We regret that we did something. Um the way we did it, we regret that we didn't do something, right? And so in, in the midst of that regret, I, I feel like it's almost the default mode is when we recognize regret, we feel this sense of guilt. So why why do you think we tend to tie guilt so quickly with regret and kind of slip into, you know, what what you kind of call this idea of imprisoning ourselves within this guilt? Why do you think that's kind of Uh, Tends to be our default mode.
1: Well, I I think there's two reasons, Mm -hmm. and and I'm not a licensed counselor, but I think there's two reasons. One is that we we uh, live in a very performance based culture.
0: Mm.
1: I think number two, well, first of all, number one, we do we live in a performance based culture, and so because we live in a performance based culture, um, if 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 I did not perform up to a standard or an idea that I had in my head. It can lead to this sense of failure and regret. And then and then that can cause me to be paralyzed with indecision about future initiatives, activities, or or dreams that I may have, that visions I may have to, to pursue in my ministry leadership. So so this performance-based culture can really have a have a very um, uh, have a very damaging effect on the way I think about myself and, and my future and self-leadership and and how I I lead in the ministry context in which God has placed me. Mm. Uh, Number two, I'd say the second reason that these all tie together is because we live in a very individualistic society. Um, Not only is it a performance-based culture that we live in, but we live in a society that um, I I know that we are more connected than we have ever been, but it also feels like we're more siloed than we've
0: ever been. Right, right.
1: And and with all of the talk about tribes and communities and right and and there's there's something to this social media age in which I don't know if we've connected everybody so much as we've put everybody on their own little island and and that and so this this kind of individualism that accompanies a a Western mindset, if you will, um, I think those are the two things that lead to. This sense of this sense of regret that leads to a sense of guilt and and, and self-imprisonment, if you will, um, and so yeah, I would say those are the two things yeah. that kind of contribute to that emotion.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. And when we, um, I, I guess you know, the danger is when we feel the the weight of that guilt. Oftentimes, you know, and, and even for mystery leaders, and we we um, we might experience this ourselves. We definitely have all. Um, heard stories or have colleagues or friends that have gotten to this point where that sense of guilt and that weight, um, if if not handled in a healthy way, can lead to that isolation that you kind of talked about, us becoming even more isolated, insulating ourselves even more, and oftentimes turning to, you know, trying to somehow numb that sense of guilt, Right.
1: And we do that in a lot of ways, don't we? Like some people will try to, you know, they, they, they've they tried some things, they got into ministry, they had this grand vision, they pursued it, it's not always worked out the way they thought it was, and so they, they look at themselves as failure, and their their lives are filled with these regrets, and they feel guilty about the way things have, have gone, and so we'll try to numb that, or we'll try to medicate that might be a better way mm. of saying, we might try to do that through work. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, we might go, hey, you know what, I'm just going to work harder. Right. I'm just not good enough. I'm just not working hard enough. So we, we might do, try to do it through, through work, of course. I think we also um, may try to do it through uh, um, other means, chemical means, if you will, whether that's medication or other things. We try to numb ourselves through, through, through that. Um, but and there's no doubt, there's nothing healthy that comes from a sense of, of, of guilt and, and here's what's crazy about all this, Jason, is there's no reason to feel guilty for for trying to do something for the glory of God, and it didn't work out exactly the way you thought it would. Yeah. That, now, there's a lot of—listen, if, if you sin before a, a holy God, yes, there is a sense of guilt that we should feel. We're not talking about
0: that. Right, right, right.
1: We're talking about the fact that God— has expressed, that you know, there's there's an old doctrine, the doctrine of the two wills of God, that there's a decreed will of God and a desired will of God. The decreed will of God is kind of what God knows will happen in his mind. It's also referred to as the hidden will of God. But then there is this revealed or desired will of God, and that's been expressed to us through the Holy Scriptures. So we know what God wants. Mm. I don't think it displeases God that his children pursue his desires and maybe it didn't work out the way that they outlined it on a whiteboard. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, because of this m- culture that we live in, um sometimes we, we because it doesn't work out, we create this sense of regret, this sense of guilt and self-imprisonment and and so there's there's the crazy thing is there's no reason for you to feel guilty, yeah, right? Yeah. And and in that in that in that approach so, or in that understanding. So Right. Uh, so anyways.
0: So the first possibility, of course, as we've just spoken about, is guilt. And then you say the second possibility is this idea of fear. So let's dig into fear a little bit, because I'm sure there are people that have gone down this path as well, right?
1: Yeah, no. And of course, Paul writes about this in his last correspondence to Timothy. He goes, you know, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind or self-control, depending on what translation of the Bible you're reading. But the notion of a spirit of fear, thats that has not been given to us. Um, and that word spirit in 2nd Timothy, you know, he's, he's talking about a, a demeanor. Um, uh, written, he's not talking about like the Holy Spirit. He's talking about that which characterizes you, your demeanor, your approach to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so God is not, that's not, right, that's not a personality trait. That's not a characteristic of your life that comes from God. And so when we don't when we don't succeed in the way in a individualistic performance-based society, like the way we we wanted to succeed or the way we dreamed it all out, not only can it lead to guilt, but it can lead to fear. And of course, fear I I think will keep us from either either ever trying anything again, right? We go, Well, I, I failed and so we're just not gonna try anymore, right. right? Or it can it can cause us to be paralyzed in This perpetual state of indecision, you know, Mm -hmm. and 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 we've all met ministry leaders who just walked around shaking hands and hugging people and having coffee and loving on people, which is really good and part of ministry, but they they couldn't make a decision to save their life, right? And it's because they're afraid to. A lot of times, it's because at one point they made a decision, they failed in their minds, they don't, and they, they regret it, and so they, they've they let that failure, that regret paralyze them from from future decisions that could and should be made, but God, this is not, so so the way I view fear as an emotion when we talk like the spirit of fear mm-hmm. is to go back to the 4th century church father Augustine or if you grew up in the south, St. Augustine <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, when he talks about evil as not a created thing but as the lack of creation right that's it the evil takes away from god's good creation it adds nothing to god's creation Mm -hmm. and so fear detracts it takes away from what it means to be fully human following jesus with with this pilgrimage and this life that he's given us so so that's why fear is such a, a a deadly Spirit or persona, if you will, mm-hmm. characteristic that can that can really damage someone's journey and someone's life and leadership.
0: Yeah, you know that's uh, as you're talking about that. I'm thinking through this idea of you know in, in ministry when we when we attempt something and it doesn't work out, and so we have these regrets around it, and we can slip into this, uh, like you said, this state of fear where we're crippled in a way and and no longer willing to. Um, maybe dream big, you know, and 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 we we're not we don't have that same sense of urgency, so we keep ourselves kind of busy, but the busy we're, we're doing is just kind of a, a distracted busy, biding the time because we are fearful of you know stepping into the the boldness to which God has called us, and so that that fear is that this inhibiting factor at this point because of past failure, but again, um, just like you said, with guilt. In Christ, we, we move beyond this this sense of fear um, because we know that we're attempting to live in such a way that we're honoring God, and so we're attempting bold things not for ourselves. We're attempting bold things for God, for his kingdom, and therefore, when it doesn't come together, we shouldn't let that fear kind of, uh, like you said, paralyze us.
1: How sad it? Jason, think about this for just a moment. I wonder how many of us, and I say us, talking about ministry leaders, mm-hmm. I wonder how many of us have had our futures robbed by fear. Mm, yeah, you know? and, and if life is but a vapor, or as Eugene Peterson talked about it in the message, it's like this, this morning fog that dissipates with the rising of the sun. If, if, that's, if that's how much life we get, if it's that quick, or as C.S. Lewis called life, it is the title page for eternity, if if life is this brief journey, right? Then then how sad is it that we would let the majority of that journey be held hostage by an emotion that God never wanted us to have?
0: Right. That's good. That's good. Okay. So I'm uh, walking through these possibilities of, of regret. So we talked about one possibility is guilt. Obviously. We, a possibility of fear, which we just discussed. And then let's get to possibility number three, freedom. Let's yes, dig sir. into that one.
1: Yes, sir. Well, we, we, the third option is that, you know, uh, our regrets can be viewed through the lens of redemption, if you will. And when that's the case, um, our regret reminds us that we are redeemed, number one, and it's a sense, it gives us a sense of, uh, a sense and a spirit of, if you will, freedom. Like uh, if I tried an initiative, you know, like right now in our organization, we're we're doing an, a fundraising initiative to serve some very under-resourced students and to help them go on this leadership development journey. And I've got a goal, right? I, I, I have a goal. I want to see this many students go through the leadership development journey at our organization. And now I've prayed about it. I've sought God on it. Um, we've received a lot of counsel, but... But somebody's got to come up with a goal. Somebody's got to go. Here's where we're headed. Here's here's what we're trying to accomplish. And so I've got a goal. Mm-hmm. And if that goal doesn't, if I don't reach everything about that goal, I don't think the Lord wants me to look at that and go, "Wow, you should you should be afraid to ever try anything again." Or, "Man, you should feel really guilty about that." I think that if if I understand, I tried something for the glory of God, and it only accomplished. ABC and not X, Y and Z then it then it, it, it really gives me this sense of freedom when I understand that my regrets can be redeemed mm. and that freedom um, um, creates a lot of a lot of margin in my thinking that could have been consumed with guilt and fear
0: mm.
1: And so a lot of times regret it, it comes down to capacity. You know, our, we're, we're allowing the picture gallery in our that is our brains to be consumed with things that God never wanted us to be consumed with, guilt and fear. But if we can understand that those are emotions that God doesn't want us to experience as we seek to try things for his, his kingdom and his glory, then it gives us this sense of freedom, which for imagination and creative thought and critical thinking— and expanding our capacity as we move forward. See, when I understand that I'm free, it expands my capacity and it unleashes my imagination. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of it, right? So that's the beauty of understanding justification by faith. So
0: Yeah, that's good, Brent. Uh, can you speak to a pastor or mystery leader who might be listening now who has these regrets, who recognizes that you know they're weighed down by guilt or they're they're paralyzed by fear? how do they step beyond that and step into this freedom? What, like if you're just sitting down talking with, you know, a friend of yours, how can we get beyond that? Because sometimes that we've been living with those regrets for so long, you know, and that, that guilt or that fear is just kind of a part has become a part of who we are. So how do we, how do we move into this freedom?
1: Yeah. And and let's, let's be honest. How do we, how do we move beyond living in a, and with regret and guilt and fear when I live in a, in a context where I can't be honest about how I feel or what I'm struggling with. Mm. And that's where a lot of ministry leaders find themselves. I would say this, you, you can't work your way through this. You can't, it's not a fix it, you know, fix yourself kind of project. Mm. You know, you a proper understanding of, of the creation narrative, God had to address aloneness before he ever addressed sinfulness. Sometimes I think we forget that. and. In this journey, in which we have very real struggles like guilt and fear over certain things, over certain decisions or ministry initiatives, uh, as ministry leaders, it is it is not important. It is essential that we have a community, a cohort of people, if you will, that we can trust. And that they're gonna, that we're gonna be doctors and patients for each other's souls. Mm. I think we re, the, the some of the answer to this uh, is to rediscover the beauty of real friendship in an age in which the notion of friendship has been so watered down. And so, I'd say that that's number one. There needs to be a. I, I have a, I have about five or six guys in my life that I can share anything with, right? And be really honest with and who are praying for me and who are going to speak truth and words of and, and speak life into me and, and who are going to build me up or who are going to help me think critically or correct something about my thinking. So that's number one. But number two, <laughs> and this is going to be a hard pill for some of us to swallow. Maybe I shouldn't use the word pill, but is there is a very real place in which we need to reach out and receive counsel and help. Mm. And I think most ministry leaders um, would benefit greatly from counseling. Mm. And, you know, my group of guys that I meet with uh, have all, you know, most of them have, have said that if, if you don't at some point in your journey, uh, reach out to somebody who can help help you, uh, who is a someone who's a, who's a counselor and is trained and is a professional and and I'm not. Well, I'm not just talking about somebody who goes. Well, I think my spiritual gift is counseling. Come see me. You know? <laughs> right. That's kind of. That's kind of like Lucy and Snoopy with her <laughs> with her. You know, if you'll give me a nickel, I'll give you psy- psychiatric help. You know that, right. that. No, we're talking about someone who who has been trained and is skillful in counseling people to understand freedom in Christ through biblical principles. I think that we would benefit from reaching out for that and to that. And the hardest part of uh, the hardest part of that is to actually actually do the reaching out, right? Mm, like right. ministry leaders that are just afraid to do that because they're maybe afraid they'll get discovered. <laughs> oh my gosh, you received counseling; you're weak. How could we look up to you? How could you be a leader? Well, actually, actually, to reach out for counseling doesn't make you weaker; it makes you stronger. Right. Right. Um, and, or maybe it's, it's, they don't reach out because of shame. Like, like, you know, there's this sense of, of, well, if I reach out and, and, and I, I, and someone finds I, there's this sense of shame. So, so I, I think that number one, there needs to be a very real community of people who are friends that care for each other's souls. Number two, I think that there needs to be a willingness to reach out and to receive real help through counseling. And and I'm sure there's more answers to your question than that, but those are the two that would be at the top of my list.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's good, Brent. Thank you so much for that. And and man, thank you for for this book as a whole. And again, we touched on just one small portion of one chapter within the book, and uh, so so much there. So really want to encourage our listeners to check out Brent Crow's um, latest book, Moments Till Midnight: The Final Thoughts of a Wandering Pilgrim. Brent, if our listeners wanted to uh, connect with you in, in some way or connect with, with, with the, the ministry that you're a part of, um, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Certainly. Well, our website is slulead.com, www.slulead.com, where they can reach out to me through social media. All my social media is at Brent A. Crow. At Brent A. Crow. And Crow is spelled with an E.
0: Excellent, brother, and we will have um, links to the book, links to the the ministry, and um, and links to your social media on the show notes. So if anyone wants to uh, reach out and connect with Brent, man, we could we could sit and talk for hours. So much available here, brother. I certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, talk about uh, this very important topic. I think for for ministry leaders and how we handle how we deal with with regret. So thank you, Brent, for being with us.
1: Thanks so much for having me, brother.